You're listening to audio from Pillar Church of Jacksonville, where our goal is to know Jesus and to make him known. If you have questions or want to know more about us, and can text Pillar to 94000 or visit our website at pillarjacks.com. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to uh, the book of John. We are continuing our series here. Trust that everyone had a Merry Christmas and enjoyed time with uh, family or friends or even both. As we've been walking through the book of John, uh, one thing that has been made very clear and kind of the main idea of the book of John is this, that we, you would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that you may have life. Believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that you may have life. And we see this in John chapter 20 when John tells us why he wrote the books for these purposes. And so that's why we, uh, we, we rest here in this. So we're going to read this morning from John chapter 7. Again, if you don't have a Bible of your own, feel free to grab one of those under, yours, uh, under your seat or uh, use a device. But John chapter 7 be walking through most all of the chapter. After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of booze was at hand. So his brothers said to him, leave here and go to Judea that your disciples also may see the works you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world, for not even his brothers believed in him. And Jesus said to them, my time has not yet come, but your time is always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. You go up to the feast. I am not yet going up to this feast, for my time has not yet fully come. After saying this, he remained in Galilee. But after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went up, not publicly, but in private. The Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, where is he? And there was much muttering about him among the people, while some said, he is a good man. Others says, no, he is leading the people astray. Yet for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. The Jews therefore marveled, saying, how is it that this man has learning?" When he has never studied. So Jesus answered them, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true. And in him there is no falsehood. Has not Moses given you the law, yet none of you keeps the law? So why do you seek to kill me? The crowd answered, You have a demon. Who is seeking to kill you? And Jesus answered them, I did one work and you all marvel at it. Moses gave you circumcision, not that it was from Moses, but from the fathers. And you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision so that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me? Because on the Sabbath I made a a man's whole body well. Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. Some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, Is not this the man whom they seek to kill? And here he is speaking openly, and they say nothing to him. 
Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? But we know where this man comes from, and when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. So Jesus proclaimed as he taught in the temple, you know me, you know where I come from, but I have not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true, and him you do not know. I know him, for I come from him, and he sent me. So they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him, because his hour had not yet come. Yet many of the people believed in him. And they said, when the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? The Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him, and the chief priests and the Pharisees sent officers to arrest him. Jesus then said, I will be with you a little longer, and then I'm going to him who sent me. You will seek me, and you will not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. The Jews said to one another, where does this man intend to go that we will not find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What does he mean by saying, you will seek me and you will not find me? And where I am, you cannot come. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. When they heard these words, some people said, this really is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the Scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So there was a division among the people over him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. The officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, Why did you not bring him? The officer said, No one ever spoke like this man. The Pharisees answered them, Have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. Nicodemus, who had gone to him before and who was one of them, said to them, Does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? And they replied, Are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is your word. It is given to us to show us and reveal to us the goodness of the gospel. To show us that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the Messiah, that he is the anointed one, that he is the Savior of the world. Lord, open our eyes to this reality. Help our hearts to answer this question that your spirit would, would prick our hearts to reveal to us the goodness of who you are. Especially in this season as we just celebrated Advent and the hope of your first coming, but also the hope of your second. So help us when we leave here to be able to better answer this question. Is this the Christ? Are you the anointed one? Thank you for your spirit that has enlightened those who believe here already. Would you strengthen us in in this firm foundation? But others here who may not know this truth, would you open their eyes to this reality? It's in Jesus' name we humbly pray. Amen. One of my kids who shall remain nameless loves to ask questions in quick succession. Here's an example of a conversation we will have at least 
once a day. Hey, Dad. Yes. What did you do all day today? I worked. Did you have a meeting? Yes. Who did you meet with? I just met with some, someone from the church. What did you talk about? Talked about the Bible. Did you eat lunch together? Where did you eat lunch? What did you eat for lunch? What are we having for dinner? Do you have a meeting tonight? And that's usually how the conversation entails. Many questions to be asked and many answers to be given. And it's about this time, if not sooner, where my patience runs a little thin and I just look over and I say, stop, just stop. Uh, We'll talk about it. You'll figure out my day at some point, but for now, just stop. But here's the thing, I don't mind answering questions. Questions can be a great way to get to know people better. They can be used as a great tool to get to, to the heart of an issue. They can even help you to know what someone did with their time during the day. There has been much ink spilled over the ability to ask good questions. If you do a quick Google search, you will find hundreds of books on how to ask good questions in the various ways they can prove to be a useful tool in the hands of a person. I mean, even here at Pillar, we host a preaching lab twice a year for those who want to improve on their expository preaching abilities. And one of the first skills that is taught is how to ask good questions of the text. Questions can be a powerful tool to be used for learning about something or someone. And as I was preparing my sermon this week, one thing that stood out to me was the amount of questions that's being asked asked in our text. The amount of questions that are being volleyed back and forth in various conversations. There are 18 different questions that happen in these 52 verses. 18 different questions. And behind the veneer of these 18 questions is one main question that people are seeking the answer to. And that question is this, is this the Christ? All the questions that are asked, all the, all the volleying back and forth, all the happenings that is going on, one question that must be answered, is this the Christ? So my goal this morning is to look at these various conversations and to break down in relatively quick fashion each one of them to help us understand how each one seeks to answer this main question. So five conversations that are happening. But I want you to walk away, if you walk away with nothing else, with this, this thought. That even if rejected, even if you are rejected, that you would stand firm that Jesus is the Savior. And that in so you would cry out for others to believe. That even if rejected, you would stand firm that Jesus is the Savior, that Jesus is the Christ, and that you would cry out for others to believe. So this morning we're going to look at five, the, the five different conversations that happen. The first one is this, the conversation is Jesus and His brothers. Jesus and His brothers. And kind of the, the thing that's happening here is there's confusion over Jesus' power. There's no doubt that his brothers have seen the miracles that he's been performing. 
But everyone, including Jesus' brothers, had expectations for what the Messiah would do when he came into the world. And so there was a, a festival that was happening called the Feast of Booze or the Feast of Tabernacles where the, the Israelites would go out and they would make these temporary homes or te- temporary uh, booze, so to speak, out of sticks. And it would, what they would do is celebrate a week for a week uh, the, the fact that Jesus, or the fact that God sustained them in the wilderness for 40 years. And they would go out and they would settle in these booths and they would celebrate and, and acknowledge that God was the one who brought them out uh, of the wilderness, who sustained them during the wilderness, fed them, took care of them, provided for them, and uh, had, had the pillar of fire by night and the um, cloud by day, and they would acknowledge this and they would celebrate this. And so the Feast of Booths was on hand, and his brother said to him, Why don't you leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples also may see the works that you are doing, that they will see you do these things in a magnificent way. Why don't you go and and no longer work in secret? Why don't you go and make it known and clear to everybody openly who you are? Why don't you go and show yourself to the world is what his brothers were saying. Yeah, I've seen you do all these miracles. I've seen you do all this work. But go and show yourself to the people. But they were expecting a Messiah to come and overthrow and to come with power and authority. It wasn't like they weren't expecting a Messiah to come. They were. They had expectations of what a Messiah would accomplish, what, an, what the Christ would be doing. And most everyone in that day expected the Messiah to come in and overthrow the Roman government and usher in a new regime of world dominance, one that would save the Jewish nation and establish them as the political epicenter. The Messiah would conquer all the enemies of the Israelites and set up his kingdom that would be established forever. A Messiah would would come in power and rule over all earthly kingdoms. He would not associate with the Gentiles. He would not associate with sinners or even those Samaritans. But instead, he would subject them to his rule. This is what the people were expecting of a Messiah. That's not at all what happened. As we've been celebrating this Christmas season, we see that Jesus came from very humble beginnings. Born in a manger, in a stable with animals, and not in an extravagant way as kings or princes would be born. We find out quickly that Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. We understand that, right? But for them, for the audience who read this first, they didn't understand that this was the way that the Messiah would come. No, he would come in power and authority. And he would subject kingdoms to his rule. And so this was the expectation of the brothers. Jesus, if you are who you say you are, If you are the Christ, if you are the anointed one, go show the world. But Jesus, verse 6, simply says to them, My time has not yet come. My time has not yet come. What does this mean? Jesus has more work to do on this earth 
Jesus has more establishing to do of who He is, of His own earthly authority. We get to chapter 12 in, in the book of John, and He says, My time has come. And we spend the rest of John 13 to John 21 seeing the last week of Jesus' life. But for this time, for this situation, for His brothers, the world, that His time has not yet come to show Himself to the world in Jerusalem. Because, as we see in verse 1, they were doing what? They were seeking to kill Him. They were reviling Him. No longer is He revealing Himself. Now they are reviling who He is. And so go show yourself to the world, for, for they did not believe that He was actually the Christ. That's why they gave Him this ultimatum. Go and show yourself. So there was confusion over who Jesus was and what He was trying to accomplish. He says, listen, the world cannot hate you, but it does hate me because I tell you the truth. Its works are evil. That we live in a world where the works of man are bent towards destruction. They're not bent towards godliness or goodness. And they will seek after me to kill me and destroy me. So my time has not yet fully come. And so he tells the brothers, he tells his brothers to wait. The expectation is that he is waiting. But there's also another underlying issue here that happens in our lives. And is this, we don't always like waiting on God's timing, do we? I mean, the brothers here are frustrated. <laughs> Go show yourself. Go do all these works. We've seen the miracles. Go display your power. We don't, we don't really believe that you're the Messiah, but something's happening here. And I'm telling you, go show yourself. And Jesus just simply says, my time has not yet come. We can feel the frustration from the brothers. And I know my own frustration when things don't happen according to my time. Do you all feel this? When things don't happen according to your time or your schedule where God doesn't move in a way that you think is very timely for you? But yet God is working all things for your good. For His purpose. And for His glory and not yours. That out of our own selfish ambition, just like Jesus' brothers, that we want God to work in a timing that is according to our plan. Nowhere in the Bible does God work on our plan. He only works according to His. So in this conversation, we do see the underlying effect here. Is this the Christ? If you are who you say you are, if you are the Messiah, go show the world. Go, go display your power. Go subject kingdoms to yourself. But we need you to do it now. And our own hearts feel this, do they not? My own heart feels this, that, I, that, that I, I, things don't happen in my time. Matter of fact, they're usually against my timeliness to better give me perseverance and endurance that they are in His time. 
So we see this conversation of Jesus and his brothers. Is this the Christ? The second conversation is the, the Feast of Booze where the people are talking to one another. People are talking to one another. We'll see this in three different places. Look with me in verse 10. His brothers had gone up to the feast. And then Jesus went up, not publicly, but in private. The Jews were actively looking for him at the feast. And they were saying, where is he? And there was much muttering about him among the people, while some said he is a good man. Others said, no, he is leading the people astray. And so we, we see this here, right, where the people are, they don't know who he is. I'm not sure who the Christ is. There was much muttering about him being a good teacher. Him being a, a good man. And then others who are saying, no, he is leading people astray. So we see the division among the people is if Jesus really is the Christ. Every now and then I, I, I read message boards. Anybody else read message boards for fun? I read message boards mainly for the entertainment, but also to remind myself of the doctrine of total depravity, because many times people say in, on message boards what they won't say to your face in person, right? And so a few days ago, I was reading a sports message board in which someone had started a thread with two words, two words on the message board, and they said, Merry Christmas. To which someone else had responded with two words. Guess what those two words were? Happy holidays. Right? So one said Merry Christmas. Another interjected under that and said Happy Holidays. And the banter was soon in full force. With all sorts of meanings about the Christmas season. And I just read this for entertainment. But it was interesting to see the many ways that this conversation went left and right and left and right of center over who Jesus was. This very conversation that's happening some 2,000 years ago is the same conversation that's happening today. That there is division over who Jesus is. What is the reason for the season? Why do we celebrate Christmas? Who is Christ? Do we need a Savior? All these questions unfolding in any everyday conversations. And in here, there's division. There's muttering amongst the people. Who is this guy? He seems to be a good man. No, but he's leading people astray. And then you get over further to uh, verse 25. Some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, Is not this man who they seek to kill? And here he is speaking openly and they say Nothing. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? That they maybe, they maybe they have the secret. Maybe they know the formula. This really is the Christ. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. But, but we know where this man comes from. And when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. Well, this is a dichotomy. So Jesus proclaimed as he taught, you know me. Do I? You know me. You know where I come from. I don't come from my own accord. He who sent me is true, and him you do not know. But yet I know him, for I come from him, and he sent me. He's referring to, to God the Father. 
I know where I come from. And if you knew God the Father, you would know me. How many times have we heard Jesus say this just in the first six chapters of the book of John? If you really knew the Father, the character of the Father, you would know me, the Christ, the Messiah. Verse 30, they, wait a minute. Who are you? You started seeking to arrest him. But no one laid a hand on him again because his hour had not yet come. He was, God was protecting him. But then something happens in verse 31. In the midst of all of this confusion, in the midst of all of this, who is the Christ, all these questions that are happening, what do we see in verse 31? There were those who believed. Not only just those, there were many who actually believed in the name of Jesus, that this is the Christ. Who else would be doing all these works? What other Messiah would come in and be able to accomplish what it is that the Messiah is accomplishing? And so, yes, there was division amongst those who believed, amongst those who did not believe. But ultimately, we see that God is working. He is opening eyes and ears and hearts to the gospel. Then we get to verse 40. Again, when they heard these words, some of the people said, this really is the prophet. Others said, no, this is the Christ. But some said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was. And so there was division among the people. Some wanted to arrest him. Some were believing in him. But there were many questions over who he was. To the people, to each other, questioning, is this the Christ? Even questioning where he would come from. Doesn't the Christ, the Messiah, we don't know where he's going to come from. But certainly it won't be from Galilee. Right? Oh, wait a minute. We get into another conversation where, no, 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 we know that he will come from the town of David. From little old Bethlehem. There's a division among the people of even where the Messiah would come from. And so we ask ourselves, who is this Jesus? What do I do when I'm met with division among the people? Do I stand firm in my faith or do I find myself falling in line with what others are saying about who Christ is? Or do I stand firm in the foundation of the truths of the gospel? That as Jared said earlier that Jesus did something for you that you cannot do for yourself. He lived a perfect life and died a sacrificial death for those who would believe. And as John has said, do you believe? Do you believe the truths of these gospels? Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ? And then we get to a third conversation. Where we see Jesus talking to the people in the synagogue. And there's confusion amongst the Jewish leaders on how Jesus knows so much about the Word without actually studying the Word. Without having an education. 
So about the middle of the feast, Jesus goes into the temple. He just begins teaching. They would have times where they, people would be able to stand up and, and, and articulate and teach. And so Jesus stands up and he, he starts to teach the Scriptures. And the leaders marvel. They marvel, how is it that this man has learning when he's never even studied? Look at Jesus' answer. Again, he points to the Father, always pointing to the Father. My teaching is not mine. but The one who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. You see, the one who speaks on his own authority seeks, to his, seeks his own glory. But the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true. And in him there is no falsehood. Guys, listen. You're looking for me. The Messiah is what he's saying. You're, you're looking for the Messiah. I am telling you that I am he. That I am the Christ. That you believe in the law, the, the law that Moses has given you. And you try to walk in this law, but the law will leave you empty. Because you can never live up and attain the perfection of the law. For example, you circumcise on the Sabbath as part of the law of Moses. But yet, I heal a man on the Sabbath and you want to kill me. Do you not see the problem here? Is what he says. That's why he goes on to say in the last part of 24. You don't judge by appearances. You don't judge by the outward man. No, you judge with right judgment. And I can tell you when they heard this, they would have thought immediately back to, back to 1 Samuel 16. Back to the appointing of David as king. Samuel says... God does not look at the outward man, the appearance of man, but he looks at what? The heart. David was the smallest of his brothers. He was the one that was least expected to lead. And yet, here he was. Building and leading a kingdom. So you don't judge by the outer appearance of man. You judge by the heart. So through this conversation, we seek to do God's will. We seek to do God's will to accomplish His glory and not our own. We seek to receive glory from Him and not others, as we're so often wanting and desiring to do through our own selfish ambition. And then we see a fourth conversation that happens in verse 32. This is Jesus and the arresting officers. The, first, the Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him. And the chief priests and the Pharisees sent officers to arrest him. And Jesus then said, I'll be with you a little longer and then I'm going to him who sent me. You will seek me and you will not find me where I am. You cannot come. I have full heavenly authority. There's confusion. What does he mean? Where does this man intend to go? Is he, is he going to, to disperse him among the Greeks and teach them? 
What does he mean I'll not be able to find him? What does it mean that where I am you cannot come? They're so confused by this and perplexed by, by this that we learn later on that they don't even arrest him. They, were, they, were, they, they are the arresting officers. They were sent to arrest him. And they're so confused by his, by his saying that where we cannot where I am going, you cannot come. And you will seek me and you will not find me. That They don't even arrest him. Matter of fact, they say, this man teaches like none other. I don't really understand. I don't understand all of it, but I know it's something. I know it's significant. And there's this veneer that's happening on this earth that this, this might be the Christ. I don't know, but this might be the Christ. It could be the Messiah. And then we get to our fifth and last conversation. And it's the confusion over, there's confusion over where Jesus is even from. The officers, the ones that were going to arrest him, they came to the chief priest and the Pharisees who said, where is he? Why, why didn't you bring him? But the officer said, no. No one ever spoke like this man. There is something there. There is something happening. The Pharisees, so much intrigued by this, go like, have you, have you also been deceived? You've been duped by this man? Have any of you believed in him? Please tell me that's not true. Because this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. No. You see, the, the ones who are accursed are those who don't believe. Those who don't see that Jesus is the Christ. And then we find one that we've been introduced already to in John chapter 3, Nicodemus. Here he is again. He had gone to him before and was one of them and said to them, Does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? To which the Pharisees and the chief priests and the Sanhedrin asked, Are you from Galilee too? You trying to put one of your own on the pedestal? You see, you need to search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee, and they're right. They're right. But what we know is that Jesus also didn't arise from Galilee. That if we learned anything during this Christmas season, that Jesus came from where the prophet said he would come. From a little place called Bethlehem. And that he would fulfill the prophecy. And that if they had just brought him in and asked him, asked him these questions without, without a bent towards destruction, which their natural heart is bent towards, to destroying a wicked man who goes against what it is that they want to do with the law. To bind people's hearts. No, they didn't want to give him a hearing. They didn't want to hear and learn what he did or does. Now they want no part of this man who calls himself Jesus the Christ. No, they didn't want to hear it. I just want to close by 
bringing up a couple of things here to remind you that even if you are rejected, that you would stand firm, that Jesus is the Savior, and that you would cry out for others to believe. That you would cry out for others to believe. We see here in verse 13, that for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly about Christ. They were scared of persecution. They lived in fear of what might happen by telling people about Jesus, that yet He is not just a good man, that He's not just leading people astray, but He is the Christ. They lived in fear of proclaiming the good news of who Jesus was. But there was one person who didn't. There's one person who didn't live in fear, and that was Jesus himself. Look at me in verse 37. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Every day during the Feast of Booths, the, the leaders would go and they would have a gold pitcher of water. And they would go and fill up the gold pitcher with water and they would bring it back. And they would pour it out. And there would be this big ceremony. And what it would do in the middle of this was remind them that Jesus sustained them by, by, by providing water from a rock. And what Jesus is saying in here, when He calls out, He says, this is probably happening, this procession is happening right in the middle of this. And Jesus says, listen, you look at the rock that provided you with water that was temporary. And what I'm trying to tell you, what I have for you is eternal. It is living water. It is the same water that was offered in John chapter 4 to the Samaritan woman. It is living water that, that is, lasts for eternity. That it's not just taking care of a temporary thirst. But no, that rock that provides the water, the eternal water, that, that temporary water points to me the living water where I'll provide for all of your needs. Know that we would be like Jesus. That we would call people to believe. That we would cry out for people to trust in the living water. That they will never thirst again. So there's a call here for us to stand firm in our faith. Despite opposition that is promised to come, for those who believe opposition will come. So there's a call for us to stand firm in our faith. There's also a call here to, to, to uh, 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 there's also a, a command here for us to call people to believe in Jesus. That we would be obedient to cry out, to, to believe in Jesus who takes away the sins of the world, as John the Baptist says. And believe in a Jesus who gives you a peace that goes beyond any understanding. That's what his brothers couldn't get. That's why they couldn't grasp. 
that there's a lasting peace found in Christ. That there's a, there's a peace that goes beyond just having authority over kingdoms. There's a peace that believing in Jesus, that our hearts will rest in Him and nothing else. That He would receive the glory above anything else. I want to leave you with these lines from a hymn in, uh, from 1846 written by Horatius Bonar. It says this, I heard the voice of Jesus say, Behold, I freely give. The living water thirsty one, stoop down and drink and live. I came to Jesus and I drank of that life-giving stream. My thirst was quenched, my soul revived, and now I live in Him. Jesus' brothers believed in Him. They believed in Jesus. They gave their life proclaiming the truth. They came to Jesus and drank of that life-giving stream. And now they live in Him. Can you say that for yourself this morning? Do you believe and do you rest in Him? Let us pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for the living water that was giving on our behalf that we would never thirst again. Lord, help us to rest in You, to trust in You as Christ, that You are Christ. You are the risen Savior. You are the sacrificial atonement. Takes away the sins of the world. Help us to put our trust in you above all others. It's in Jesus' name we humbly pray. Amen.